0: Hello, I'm Tony Payne and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth. And this is one of the free public editions that goes out to everybody. And it continues a little series that I started last week about the Christian life. And last week I talked about how the Bible often sees the Christian life as a matter of faith, love and hope. These three, as Paul calls them in 1 Corinthians 13, and they seem to capture the essence of our response to the gospel and our growth as Christians. And I made the point, last time that we don't tend to talk about these three virtues quite so much these days in discussing Christian living and maturity, and I wondered aloud what we were missing or neglecting by not doing so. And so over the next few posts, starting with this one, I'm planning to answer that question by exploring faith and love and hope as the basic virtues of the Christian life, starting this week with faith under the tricky title of I Believe in Alien Life. Let's start by thinking about words, because words like middle-aged men tend to sag over time, and maybe that's one reason that faith, love and hope have fallen a little out of favour in recent times as descriptions of the Christian life. All three of these words have put on quite a bit of weight, you might say, and are barely recognisable in comparison with what they looked like in their youth, their New Testament youth. And we've no doubt all heard sermons that have pointed this out, especially with regard to faith. Uh, We've heard sermons that say faith does not mean a blind leap in the dark, or faith is not a mystical substance that some people have or don't have, as in I wish I had your faith, and faith is not a sentimental kind of willingness to overlook the claims of evidence and reason, and so on. All the same, faith does retain an air of mystery about it for many people. And the nature of faith and what faith really is continues to be debated, not just as we talk with people in the world each day, but within the Christian academy as well, within Christian theological circles. So a guy called Matthew Bates has recently written a book called Salvation by Allegiance Alone, Salvation by Allegiance Alone, in which he argues that the traditional definitions of faith, which revolve around conviction or trust in something, that these definitions are inadequate. Bates says that allegiance, or embodied loyalty as he calls it, is a much bigger, better way of translating the Greek words we normally translate as faith, or faithful, or to believe in something. And moreover, he says that this important discovery of his will allow us to solve all those ancient pesky debates between Protestants and Catholics about justification by faith, and it will secure the place of good works in the Christian life and give them a better foundation and generally save the church from various catastrophes. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time engaging with Bates's proposal since I have a high degree of faith in Will Timmons, lecturer from Moore College, and his very polite scholarly demolition of the whole idea. My favourite line in Will's essay, about Bates's book, is this one. When taken together, along with the other problems noted above, it becomes apparent that Bates's lexical argument consists of little more than a pastiche of citation, inference, and assertion. In the genteel academic world of polite discussion, that's about as brutal and as devastating as it gets. But I mention Will's essay because in it he highlights the importance of Romans chapter 4 for understanding the kind of faith the New Testament is talking about, along with passages like Hebrews 10 and 11 and parts of Galatians and other parts of Romans. Romans 4 is one of the key sections of the New Testament to read, to apprentice ourselves to, as I'm fond of saying, if we're going to understand what sort of faith, what sort of conviction or trust the Bible speaks of. And I say what sort of faith because the word faith itself is not all that mysterious or difficult to understand. All those sermons about faith basically meaning trust or reliance are true. According to the standard Greek lexicon, the BDAG, faith essentially means three things as a word. It means that which evokes trust and faith as in faithfulness or reliability. It means the state of believing on the basis of the reliability of the one trusted. So we might say trust or confidence or reliance. And that which is believed, that is the body of what is believed, the body of faith or belief or teaching. This is what the word faith means. Faith envisages the possibility that there is an object or a statement or a person that can be regarded as true or trustworthy or reliable. One becomes convinced that this is indeed the case, and then one trusts or relies on or has confidence in this person and their word. Incidentally, the Reformation had three Latin words for this. The Reformation often has Latin words for things. The Reformation spoke of notitia, that is, the matter or person worthy of trust, a census, that is, the mental assent or conviction or belief that this is true or he is true, and fiducia, the, the personal reliance or trust that flows on from that conviction. Now, this is what the word faith means. It's in a sense, all faith is like this. So what kind of trust or reliance or conviction, what sort of faith is the New Testament talking about? Trust or reliance in whom or in what, and with what consequences? And here, as Will Timmons points out in his essay, is where Romans 4 is so important, and so emblematic of what the New Testament repeatedly says. Because in Romans 4, Paul holds up Abraham as the classic exemplar and father of faith, of the faith that we all now have, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. Romans 4, 18-21 says, In hope he believed against hope, that's Abraham, That he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, Will Timmons comments on this passage. The phrase against hope and the depiction of Abraham's full conviction concerning God's ability implicitly reference the incapacity and inability of Abraham as one whose body is dead and therefore as one who contributes the grand total of nothing to God's promised salvation. The believing Abraham brings nothing to God, he receives Everything. That's from Will Timmons' essay on page 613 of the journal. I'll give you the details at the end. This is the extraordinary character of New Testament faith. Being in an utterly hopeless position through our sin and rebellion, without capacity, without goodness, without life, without true knowledge of ourselves or God or the world, In this hopeless situation, we hear a word, a promise comes to us from the true and living God. He promises that in his crucified and risen son, we will find forgiveness and redemption and righteousness and a new risen life in his kingdom, which is coming. Now, whatever else might flow out of faith or be connected with it, and perhaps allegiance and loyalty are things that do flow out of faith, faith in Jesus Christ, allegiance to Jesus, whatever might flow out of faith, the essence of Christian faith is a trust, a convictional reliance in this promise of God that is proclaimed in the gospel. But, of course, we trust in that gospel word because, like Abraham, we trust in the one who speaks it, the living, true and faithful God. To rely upon the gospel promise is to be fully convinced, like Abraham, that God is able to do what he has promised and that he will do it. And because the promise itself is about the Lord Jesus Christ, about his crucifixion and resurrection as our mediator and redeemer and Lord, since that's the content of the promise and the message, then faith in the message is also faith in him, in the risen Jesus, as the one who will save us, rule us, And judge us. And so in the New Testament, we often find that the object of faith can be either the gospel itself, the gospel promise, or the God who promises and puts forward that word, or Jesus himself. The content of faith, or that which is trusted in, can be any of those three, because they're all inevitably and unavoidably connected. Now, there's a great deal more to say here. I would love to explore, for example, two of the classic Old Testament verses about faith that the New Testament authors often refer to. And I'm thinking of the righteous shall live by his faith from Habakkuk 2.4. And that pops up all over the place in Romans and in Galatians 3.11 and in Hebrews. Uh, And the one from Romans 4 itself, Abraham believed the Lord and and he counted it to him as righteousness that happens not only f- repeatedly in Romans 4, but also in Galatians 3 and in James chapter 2. It would be fun to explore those in more detail, and it would also be good to spend some more time exploring how trust in the gospel message relates to evidence, to having reasons for believing and trusting, and particularly how important the apostles were as witnesses to the resurrection, as those who testified to what they had seen and heard. But our purpose here is more particular. It's to think about how faith is one of the foundational virtues or attributes of the Christian life and of Christian growth and maturity. What does what we have seen about faith so far mean for the Christian life that flows out of that faith? Well, let me suggest four things. The first one is that faith is the character of the Christian life from start to finish because the Christian life is given to us from God as a gift. It comes from outside, not from within. As Will Timmons says, the believing Abraham brings nothing to God. He receives everything. We hear the gospel promise and we trust it. We cling to it because it's our only hope. Like a drowning man, we desperately grasp the lifesaver's outstretched hand, and we gratefully receive the salvation that he offers. And this is why Luther spoke of an alien righteousness, a forgiveness and a redemption and a justification and a new life that comes to us from outside, not from ourselves, but from God, and completely from God, to people who are otherwise spiritually senseless and dead. A righteousness that can only be received from outside in trust, that can never be earned. And this is what justification by faith alone means, as one of the great Reformation slogans. And this never stops being the case. To be a Christian and to live as a Christian is to put our whole trust and conviction and reliance in an alien life. A life that comes to us from beyond ourselves and our sinful world. Our whole Christian lives are lived trusting in the promise of God in Jesus Christ and in that alone and in him alone. That in him our old selves have already died and that we've been raised up with him and that we now live a whole new life as citizens of his kingdom looking forward to the inheritance that is to come. So that's the first implication, that the Christian life is a life of faith from start to finish because it comes to us as a gift from God who contributes everything and we contribute nothing. But secondly, faith therefore energises Christian living. By trusting in the gospel of Christ, we're committing ourselves to a whole new existence as subjects of that kingdom, of the new kingdom, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Paul puts it so beautifully in Galatians 2. I love this verse. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Every day, in other words, as a Christian, is a new day to believe the gospel all over again, to realize afresh that my old life is dead and gone and to commit myself to living a new life in Christ. Thirdly, however, faith in Christ also opens up a new vision of living in this world, in God's world, the world that he created, while we await the inheritance to come. When we stop our rebellion and start trusting in Christ, we see everything with fresh eyes, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. Behold, everything is new. We're placed right side up, to use the title of Paul Grimman's excellent little book on the Christian life. We're given a whole new understanding, not only of God in Christ, but of ourselves, and of our world and our relationships and every aspect of the order of our world. We understand at last what we're for as people, and what the world is for. We understand what it means to be and to live as a human, as one of God's creatures. Because we've come to see and to know and to trust that Jesus Christ is the exact image of God, that he's the human who shows us what it means to be human in God's world. But it's worth noting that it is through faith and faith alone that we can arrive at this new knowledge of what is real and true and good. Even though it's a knowledge of ourselves and of this good created world we live in, it's a knowledge that is also an alien knowledge in that sense. It comes to us from outside. We were powerless to know it and understand it until God came to us in his Son and revealed the truth to us, the truth that makes sense of ourselves, that makes sense of everything. Well, fourthly and finally, if what I've been saying is true, then growth in faith comes through hearing God's word of promise again and again and understanding it more deeply and grasping hold of it ever tighter. Because faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, as Paul says in Romans ten seventeen, And so we therefore need to keep hearing that word of the gospel preached and taught, and we need to keep reminding each other of it and exhorting each other day by day to keep trusting in it and in the God who made that promise, and not to be deceived and hardened by the deceitfulness of sin as Hebrews 3 puts it. In other words, if faith is the character of the Christian life, if it's the wellspring and energizer of love and every other Christian virtue that can be summarized by love, then to see Christian maturity flourish, we need to see faith grow. We need to see it grow firmer and stronger and deeper. And this happens as we speak the word of God in multiple different ways. And pray that God, by his Spirit, would awaken and grow a deep trust and conviction of that word in our hearts. Perhaps the best way to conclude is to notice how Paul prays for this himself in Ephesians 3. It's a beautiful prayer and perhaps a nice way to conclude. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There are some no doubt inadequate thoughts about faith, much more that could be said, but hopefully a foundation for thinking about faith as the almost primary initial virtue of the Christian life, that response of ours to the gospel that connects us to God in Christ through trusting in the gospel word. Now, if you want to chase this up further and you do want to explore further, I'd recommend Bryson Smith's little book simply called Faith. It's one of the only, well, relatively recent popular level treatments of this subject that I can think of, which is a bit extraordinary in itself. But it's well worth reading and passing around and discussing. That's Faith by Bryson Smith. And once again, thank you for listening to this free public edition of The Painful Truth. Feel very free to pass this around and let other people know. You can flick them the link to this podcast. And if you'd like to chase up last week's edition, which kind of introduced this whole subject, I have made it a free public post now. I've opened it up on the website. If you go to thepainfultruth.online, you'll find it there. The post is called These Three, and you'll be able to read it or just click and listen to the episode there as well if you'd like to. And of course, if you'd like to get every edition every week of The Painful Truth, plus regular bonus material and be part of the conversation that we enjoy here on The Painful Truth, you can become a partner or a regular subscriber to the weekly edition. And if you're over at the website, you'll notice that there's a 60-day free trial on offer for anyone who wants to check out The Painful Truth. You can go to the free trial actually by following this link. Go to thepainfultruth.online slash freetrial60. Thepainfultruth.online slash freetrial60. One final thing for those of you who want to chase up Will Timmons' article on Matthew Bates's book. It's called A Faith Unlike Abraham's, Matthew Bates on Salvation by Allegiance Alone. And it's in the Journal of the Evangelical Theological Society, JETS, 61.3. That's Volume 61, Number 3. That's in 2018 and on pages 595 to 615. But you can see all the details there if you want to chase that through again on the web version, on the text version of this episode. Well, that's about all from me for this week. Lovely to be with you again. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.